You're listening to episode 269 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we take a look at the pilot episode of the fan-produced web series, Star Trek Continues. And, dude, I got nothing bad to say about the weather today. Uh, no. Yeah. Today was, uh, it was a nice day. The last couple of days have been... Yeah, I mean, my only complaint is I tweaked my back a few days ago, and now that I've got this gorgeous weather, I can't really do anything I need to do in the right, yard. Right, right. Yeah, I so. finally was able to, to mow the lawn, uh, which was great time. Um, but yeah, we had field hockey yesterday. It was beautiful out, nice. Lacrosse practice in the morning. It was nice. You know, no rain. It's not cold yet. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Just Perfect enjoy this, the and then move uh, to Florida when it gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, don't get me started about Florida. <laughs> but uh, I do want to get started by reminding you guys, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Website, you can leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip. Send us the MP3 the way Fred does. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch. And consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. All right, just a little bit of news, and obviously the first is directly related to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, and that is we will be covering Season 1 of BBC's Prime Evil, and what we're going to do is cover two episodes each week of the six-episode season. So next week we'll be doing Episodes 1 and 2, 3 and 4, and then 5 and 6. So we'll cover all of Season 1 in three weeks. After that, we're kind of leaning towards true calling we'll have more information on that later and and we're not necessarily saying we're going to do the whole season one of true calling i think that's a rather long season but you know we've got some time to talk about it and we'll let you guys know cool all right now the other big news is this sunday october 7th and you know what i'm talking about right uh yes i do know what you're talking about now, do you have it on your current incarnation of uh, how you get your <laughs> I, I TV? I did today uh, add it to the DVR for my PlayStation View. So we should be watching Doctor Who on, uh, on Sunday. Right. Now, the one thing you might want to pay attention to is that it's being simulcast internationally. So it's 1.45 p.m. Eastern Standard right. Time. So if you're out on the West Coast, uh, it's like breakfast yeah, with who, yes. I guess. Yeah. But right now, it's also my understanding that BBC America is going to rebroadcast it at 8 in the evening, but I wasn't able to verify that. I you know, probably should have started a little bit earlier <laughs> looking for it. But Sunday, October 7th, one forty-five. Doctor Who, be there or be yeah, square. Which is, I mean, I don't know, it's just. Is is it is it going to be Sunday nights now? Is is that is that what the deal is? Like I don't know because it's oh, that was like Saturday nights before, right? Here in America, right, right. And Radio Free Scarrow, which is the podcast I listen to for Doctor Who, they're in like their twelfth or thirteenth year, and their problem is they've got it down to where they watch it Saturday night. They get up, they rewatch it, they've got their notes, they record Saturday, uh, I'm sorry, Sunday afternoon, and they publish it, you know, around six o'clock Sunday evening. 
But now, yeah. since they all have jobs yeah. in addition to the podcast, uh, so they're they're kind of playing it by ear. And <laughs> like they were saying in, in the most recent podcast, it's like, yeah, as soon as the season's over, then we can get back to our normal schedule. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So that that's my understanding. That's uh, okay. So. Yeah, Chris Chibnall comes in. He's making making changes. You know, like that's fine. absolutely Jody Whitaker. I am freaking yeah, psyched. Good. So, all right, my tip of the week has to do with the show Van Helsing that I also cover for Den of Geek with written reviews, but that's not why it's my tip of the week. And it returns to sci-fi Friday night for its third season. If you're into the whole zombie apocalypse genre, you'll probably like Van Helsing. Even though they're vampires, it's got that zombie vibe to it. And it's certainly not a faithful retelling of Bram Stoker's vampire tale, but the show's main character, Vanessa Helsing, is a distant relative uh, Van Helsing, I who's get been it. part of a yeah, scientific experiment, and she appears to be mankind's savior in the battle for survival. And if you ask her, she wants nothing to do with it. Just leave me alone. But it's a great show. I mean, I did start watching it because I was covering it, but I really love cool. it. So Van Helsing, Sci-Fi Network, nice. Friday night. Um, my pick of the week is it's actually came out I think two weeks ago, maybe three is uh, Iron Fist season two, which I don't know if we talked about it a little bit. On, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it more than I liked season one, uh, mostly because I think the character of Danny Rand is kind of you know maturing a little bit. Uh, I think part of the problem with season one is his character was just too annoying. You know, I think they did a good job. And, you know, and they obviously, Misty plays a big part in She's like one of my favorite characters in all of the Netflix Marvel universe and all that. And, uh, and you know, Colleen was there, who's awesome. And, uh, you know, they brought back some you know, good bad guy. And, yeah, I liked it. Cool. I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, I really, the only thing that kept me going in season one was Colleen Wing. And season two, it's a totally different feel out of Danny Rand, as you said. And and I'm liking it. I'm on episode four, I think, at this point. So, uh, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on with, well, we know what's going on with Davos and his sister, but he's trying to figure it out. They just had dinner at oh, uh, Danny that, and Colleen's place. classic scene. That was so well done. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely think... If you've seen season one and you were ready to let it go by the wayside, give it a couple episodes. Well, the thing is, it's almost like, you know, all the stories interlock with one another in some way. So it's almost like, yeah, even if you didn't like it, if you're going to watch Jessica Jones or Luke Cage or Daredevil, you got to watch it because, you know, there's going to be stuff in there that they're going to refer to uh, in those other shows. So. All right, and then the last thing I want to bring up, and, and this is a tip of the week that Wayne gave last week, I believe it was, for the CW mm-hmm. Seed app, which I immediately downloaded. And you mentioned that you watched the episode of Birds of Prey, which is a show that we did uh, way back. And, and I did the same. And I would really encourage you guys, if you haven't seen Birds of Prey, it really is I think it's fair to say it's the precursor of the superhero shows that we have today, like Arrow, Flash, that are so popular, and that if you were ever going to reboot a show, 
I, I think birds of prey should be considered. So if you have access to the CW seed, it's free. They're running birds of prey and it's only 13 episodes. Wayne and I covered it way back. In fact, that was our first show that we covered in the first lost girl hiatus. Right. And and we did it because Rachel Scarston, who was one of the principals in in lost girl. And and as it turned out, we both really liked the show. So CWC birds of prey. I feel like who's the the other, uh, Ashley Scott, Scott, right. Right. Were we not, she, she, well, but she was in dark angel and I guess, right. I guess we made the connection from, Birds of Prey, Dark Angel. Well, that Angel, was afterwards. The, right, not the other way around. Exactly. Right. Gotcha. And then Dina Meyer, who we know from uh, Starship Trooper as Diz, which was uh, a great character as well. So, all right, speaking of great characters, let's get on with uh, the topic for tonight, and that is Star Trek Continues. And it's not something I was aware of until Fred pointed it out to us, and it is an unofficial fan-created continuation of the original series that aired for three seasons between 1966 and 69. And, and you and I have talked that, you know, when we were younger, every time you turned on the channel, they were doing reruns of it. So yeah. at, at some point, we probably saw every episode two, three, four times growing up. Right. Except, well, I mean, like I said, I'm sure I saw it, but I don't recall the episode that this is basically you know, builds on. Okay. And, and that's fair. And one of the things I like about Star Trek continues and what they're trying to do is that their intent is to complete the original five-year mission of the Starship Enterprise and give this chapter of the franchise a proper and satisfying ending. So we've got 11 episodes that were released between 2013 and 2017. And one of the first things that I noticed was the use of all of this copyrighted material, trademarked stuff, music, sound effects. And, and I'm thinking, oh, how are they getting away with that? Yeah. Well, because they're not making any money off it. Right. And that's what really surprised me when I started doing a little bit of research is that uh, I forget Paramount or whoever the company is that owns Star Trek uh, and the Roddenberry family is that they're basically on board with people that want to use these things as long as they're not making a profit. Mm -hmm. So the project itself was funded to a large degree through Indiegogo, Kickstarter campaigns, won a number of awards for web series. What I finally came to decide was do we judge this as a web-based series put together by a bunch of fans, or do we judge it as an episode of Star Trek, the original series? And, dude, I finally decided that it's so good, it's so well done, that it's reasonable to review it in terms of it being an extension of season four, if you will. Right. Well, Dave, I'm going to talk about it as it's a labor of love uh, done by the fans because otherwise I am just going to rip it apart. Um, oh. <laughs> now, I, I, and I'm not saying that. Okay. All right. I know that that is bad. Okay. I, 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 let me step back from that a little bit. I don't mean rip it apart like I hate it because I enjoyed it. But. You know, there's just elements of it that are 
rather amateurish, I guess, to say. Um, so, but as a web series, as a labor of love, amazing, amazing. But if you're going to ask me to compare this to like the original show, well, you know, I don't know. Okay. Um, so right. we can kind of Fair talk enough. about it in in both ways, but I, I, I'm not going to rip it apart, though. I promise, because I get that this these are fans; these are people who love Star. It, clearly, that comes out in every single scene. The attention, the detail is unbelievable. Um, they, you know, and they they really, really took care to and took pains to to recreate the the show from the '60s. But um, I don't know. It just to me, and maybe it's just because. Well, I, I can't even say it's just because I'm too used to the old characters. Because I'm fine with the Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto version of Star Trek Two, right? Yeah. So, well, you know, you mentioned an actor, and one of the things you notice right away is that of all the actors, the only one with any name recognition is Chris Duhan, who reprises his father's role as Scotty. That's only half his name. That's recognizable. The first right. half, not so much. All right. Now, that said, the project did receive support from actors across the board, including John Delancey, right. a.k.a. Q. Right. Who's in uh, a couple Michael episodes, Dor- right? Yeah. Michael Dorn, who played Worf. Yeah. Uh, Michael Forrest as Apollo is reprising his role from, yep. and you were talking about this episode before we came on, Who Mourns for Adonis? Uh, from the original series, Marina Sirtis, yep. who played Deanna Troy, is yes. I think the, the, the voice, voice of the, of the computer. computer. Yep, the computer voice, yeah. which is a cool um, touch. I didn't like. I didn't get that till I saw the end credits. I'm like, oh, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, the coolest credit though is Jamie Bamber. Yeah, did you catch that when you when you watched it? Did you know that? I, I, I knew he was in it, and I didn't catch it the first time I watched it. He's in fact one of the guys that goes outside of the enterprise to try to laser off all that goo on there i think he's with uh, is he with sulu or sulu, check yeah. off i can't remember sulu um check off and, i don't even think check off got a line in this, no, exactly. this episode or not very many i don't think but he got yeah, any. Jane, i don't think he spoke because i'm like i'm like you know for each of them kind of like comparing them to the original and it's just check off didn't even say anything right so. now the other cool thing for me about jamie bamber who appeared in Battlestar Galactica. Do you remember what his call sign was in BSG? Uh, Apollo. Apollo. Yeah. I thought, you know, like I thought there was a trick question I had to think about because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. Apollo. Yeah, it was cool. But you so. didn't catch it because he's got like the helmet on with the, the, the wiring over the front and everything. So, but when I, when I saw that Jamie Bamber was in it, I'm like, Jamie Bamber was in it. Where the hell was Jamie Bamber? And I'm like, Oh, I bet you he was a guy who was on top of the ship with Sulu. And I went back and like, yep, there he is. Now, Rod Roddenberry, son of Gene and Majel Barrett, said he considers Star Trek Continues to be canon and is certain his father would feel the same way. So on the, on the one hand, I understand it. And, you know, I'm sure you'll you know, make clear your perspective on a few things as we go f- uh, forward. But... I, I was a little surprised, and, and pleasantly so. Now, uh, this is episode one, entitled Pilgrim of Eternity, written by Steve Fratarola and Jack Trevivio, who did the teleplay 
Uh, Vic Mignona and Jack Marshall did the story directed by Vic Mignona. And he is, in fact, the actor that plays Captain James T. Kirk. Right. And this one became available May 24th, 2013. So these were made available sporadically. It, it just it, it seems as if maybe about three or four months, uh, every three or four months, we'd get a new episode. It, first thing that, that catches your eye, and that's the visual production. And you uh-huh. mentioned already the attention to detail of the Enterprise interior in, in particular. And to me, it, it was spectacular. Did you yes. read anything about how they constructed the sets? I, I didn't, no. Well, they got the original plans from the 60s show, wow. and that's wow. how they built them. That is, that, that is intense. That's great. Right, right. Now, the other thing that I don't want to say it surprised me, but it, it, it kind of did that as opposed to making the low tech more noticeable, the fact that this is in high definition actually made things look better to me, more believable, because I, I think you mentioned this several years ago when, when you were talking about your son's watching the original Star Trek and really kind of making fun of how the production values are nowhere near what they were used sure. to. Right, right. And you know what? I think they kind of embraced that too. You know, like that that same kind of like that 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 little bit of cheesiness that was always a part of Star Trek uh, continues, I think embraces that a little bit, you know, and kind of rolls with that. Like they put, they have it in the, the four, three, uh, aspect ratio. Yes. For the thing, you know, so that's like the first thing you notice because now we're, you know, everyone's got like widescreen TVs and everything and we're used to that. And then you see a big square in the middle of the screen. You're like, ah, cause you know, if you go, you know, if you obviously televisions back in the day were square, not, uh, not like they are today. And so they filmed it differently. And if you watch any of the old any old shows at all, you know they're in that four to three aspect. Now, did you watch it on your laptop or on your TV? Watch on my TV. Oh, wow. See, now I'm glad I didn't because if I watched it on my TV, then I probably would have started fiddling with the settings because it's like, yeah, why isn't it not in widescreen? And then right. the next thing you know, I'm like, how, how the hell do I get it back? And then my wife comes in, wants to watch something, and then I'm like. <laughs> Why did you mess with it? But anyway. yeah, no, I just um, I left it as is. You know, I thought, uh, and and you know, once once you get rolling, you don't like you kind of black out, I guess, with like the uh, the edges and everything. So now, obviously, the uniforms were spot on, and and that's not a big surprise because of you know, the the fan conventions and you know people have been dressing up as Star Trek characters for decades. Uh, the Enterprise itself comes across at least as believable as the original. Right. But um, the, the, the one thing that I really could criticize would be those EVA suits that Jamie Bamber <laughs> uh, and uh, Sulu were wearing because those were pretty terrible. Yeah, but I, you know, I only assume that, that they just went with what they looked like on the original show, you know? Like obviously right. they could have made them a lot better, and you know, like part like they're because they're out there, and he's like starts screaming. I'm like, well, dude, you just have like a wire mesh over your face. You're in space. You probably can't breathe. You need glass there, you know. But right. I, you know, I, I just assumed that the original show that's what they looked like, and so that's they just went with that again. Which again, which is I I think is it's great, you know, because they they're owning it. 
know, obviously this like looks ridiculous, but they're like, this is what we're going with because this is authentic based on what the original show would have done. Right. But that, that's why I don't look at it as being ridiculous because that was the attempt. And no, no, I don't, he, I don't, I don't see it that I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Oh, okay. That okay. I'm good with. Now, that, now the sound effects again were just remarkably consistent. Yeah. The camera shots and the angles again. I guess I just really felt like I was watching an episode of Star Trek: The Original Series. And you know, Fred mentions a little bit of this in his feedback. Uh, Captain James Kirk, played by Vic Mignona, whether it's the vocal inflections, the physical mannerisms. I mean, he's got Kirk down. Yeah. In fact. I, I, it even looked to me like he was wearing a wrap under his shirt to constrict his waist the way William Shatner did in, in some of the seasons. I could be wrong, but that's what it looked like. I don't know. He, when he had his shirt off, he's, he looked like he was pretty fit. So, Well, I did think that, but you know, I was just wondering whether that was something he did for realism. Right. But what would you think about Spock, played by Todd Haberkorn? You know, he actually, out of the, because, all right, so first of all, I'll put the, the, the dude who played Kirk, I agree, did a really good job really nailing the mannerisms and that uh, the original Captain Kirk and, um, yeah, like, you know, I mean, voice is a little bit different than William Shatner's, uh, probably a little bit more nasally or something like that, but, you know, but he, like, the the look, the way he walked, the way he kind of talked to people. And, you know, like, I, like I, I think about when he walks into the med bay the first time and who's the, uh, the doctor, the redhead, she like comes up to him. He's just like later, you know, because that's just like such a, like what, you know, obviously Kirk would have done. He's just always like focused on the thing at hand. And even when like a hot redhead comes up in your face, it's just like, Nope, no time. I got to talk to this guy, Apollo over here. So, um, this is great. Spock was also, I think, did a great job as well. Now, I will admit the f- when I first, because I think this is the second time I watched it. Um, and the first time I did, when you first told me about this, uh, the ears were a problem for me because they're just, they're just too big. You know, like obviously it's prosthetic that he puts over his own ears. I don't know how they did Leonard Nimoy's ears, but... Um, yeah, but but Spock's ears are just ridiculously big, and they kind of like you know if you'll you know pardon the phrase stuck out at me uh, the first time I watched. Now this time, not so much. But I, I just remember that I'd be feeling, but and, and so that's kind of what I guess I'm, that's I'm not trying to nitpick about it, though I guess I am. So I'll, I'll stop the nitpicking, but uh, because the actor did a great job, I thought as as Spock, um, really kind of nailing the nuances of of that character well and i think that's part of the problem that the first time you watch it you've got the original character so ingrained in your psyche that for me i just didn't feel a vulcan presence and i don't know how else to put it but when i rewatched it yesterday again i picked up some more of those nuances that that you were just referring to and I thought he did a pretty good job uh, of the big three. The one that I really still don't bond with, although I'm I'm, I'm coming a little bit closer, and that's Doctor Leonard McCoy, yeah. played by Chuck Huber. And 
at first I just simply didn't care for his character or his portrayal at all. But, you know, as it went on, I, I guess I felt it was a more believable bones and, and I was okay with him. Mm. The one thing I did notice is that he seemed to be going from short sleeve shirt to long sleeve shirt <laughs> a number of times. And well, maybe I, he changed every time Apollo's hair grew back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, now the other one, and we mentioned Chris Doohan playing Montgomery Scott, Scotty, the character that his father made famous. And uh, look, uh, what can I say? He's, he is Scotty. And the one thing I like about the character, and this doesn't necessarily speak to the actor as much, but the character is that almost more so than anybody, he feels free to challenge Kirk in almost a vehement manner. I mean, his vehement opposition to Apollo's presence, you start wondering, well, is it warranted? But as they even mentioned in the episode, yeah, it is because he remembers the the incident with Apollo two years prior. So right. I thought he did a great job. Uh, he, um, apparently he was like the big protagonist against Apollo in the original episode. Yes. Right. And now you mentioned Chekhov and that, you know, I think he did have like one line, but uh, again, and maybe Chekhov, I would certainly assume Chekhov appears in a more prominent role later in the series. It's just that in the, the pilot that we're talking about now, he really didn't do much. Lieutenant Uhura, played by Kim Stinger, she's the one she picks up Athena's brooch and he asks her to hold on to it and all of that. Did Uhura sing in the original show? Um, I don't recall that happening, but maybe. I mean, that was the one scene that did seem to feel out of place to me. That I don't recall the Enterprise having like a little canteen kind (laughs) of dealy. Maybe they did, uh, but I certainly don't know that I remember Uhura singing. I mean, she's got a lovely voice. Right. The actress, uh, Kim Stinger, but... Uh, and and again, so she didn't have a huge role, but certainly more so than Chekhov. I mean, is there anything I'm missing about her and her portrayal? I, I thought she did a good job. It was, yeah. I mean, I had no problems uh, with her role. Um, her is that, see, like, I guess some of the issues, like, again, I, I, I couldn't really get into the guy playing Dr. McCoy. That, that just, that didn't work for me at all. Um, Scotty, his... Accent was that of a Canadian playing a Scotsman, um, <laughs> and maybe not quite as skillfully done as I'm putting that in air quotes as his father's uh, portrayal was. You know, still tough to to hear the the, the accent gone so wrong, but but still, yeah, you know, like he he definitely brought humanity to that character that kind of shone through. That kind of made me half you know, like at first when I first heard him speak. I was it was driving me crazy, but uh, as the episode went on, I the the accent started fading from me. I just focusing on the 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 job of acting. I thought it was actually pretty good. And like I said, bringing out the humanity of that. Um, Ahura, like you know, she you know, like I said, like there was nothing uh, either way that made me think it was either super spectacular. She you know doesn't really look like the. Uh, original actress but still did a good job of calling out the status report to the captain and um you know and then almost dying too which is you know an issue but her eyes were 
I think within the context of this episode and her role in this episode, we could look at it like uh, a referee or an umpire. If we don't notice them, they're doing a good job. Right, right. Now, Sulu, we both mentioned, we, I think we both agreed, Grant Imahara did a pretty good job. Vocal inflections dead on. He had a little bit more of a role, certainly in that, that uh, EVA scene with Jamie Bamber. But uh, again, not a lot. But certainly the one character that you couldn't help but notice is Dr. Elise McKenna, played by Michelle Speck. Wait, the, who was uh, that? Attra- the attractive redhead. I don't think I saw. What, what, what did she do in this episode? <laughs> yeah. Well, she went into Kirk's quarters when he didn't have a shirt on. Yes. If it only uh, it were the other way. I, I, uh, right. Yeah. Out. <laughs> now, uh, actually, I, I did read that in real life, she and Kirk are a couple. Oh, and, yeah? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, so there, there, you know, I, I mean, again, it, it was the. A preponderance of attractive women on the Enterprise was just in line with the old show that had, you know, loads of all all the, the well besides the red shirts who were guys who generically were there to die, um, you know, all the the female crew members of the Enterprise were always like you know pretty attractive and wearing short skirts and everything. So, you know, wasn't necessarily the most progressive show of its day. Well, right, and that's, I think, one of the the issues it probably faced as it was being uh, constructed is that do you have these female characters acting like female characters often acted in television shows in the mid to late 60s? And while Star Trek was one of the first that really did place women in, you know, more uh, situations of power and control. It was more about their intellect than their attractiveness. And I mm. think they found a balance there that they just picked right. actresses that could do both. And right. the thing about Dr. McKenna, I mean, she's got this gung ho trying to get Kirk's attention. We assume in a professional capacity, but I believe he says she's the first Starfleet onboard ships counselor. I don't recall the original Enterprise having a ship's counselor. I know like Deanna Troy in right. Next Generation. So I don't know if maybe I'm just forgetting. Or no, I, I, just- I think I agree. I don't think they had one. I think that was something that came up in Next Generation as well as a holodeck. I don't, there wasn't a holodeck on the original Enterprise, was there? You know, I think there was, but I could be wrong. I, 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 again, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay. And then lastly, Michael Forrest reprising his role as apollo all these years later and the one thing that really strikes me about apollo in this episode and we'll talk about the this story in a second despite the pathos his advanced age engenders there's always that nagging feeling that he's playing kirk right and does he truly see the light regarding his desire for adulation i don't know but all right, let's t- talk a little bit about the story. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, it calls back the original Apollo episode and his desire to be worshipped fits perfectly within the original universe. Is it a story that plays well with 2018 audiences? 
That's uh, you know, that's a good question because, like I said, you know, uh, you know, when my kids, when I tried to get them to watch Star Trek, they really weren't into it. They really, again, they couldn't see past the, the older special effects and everything. And with this being such a, such a great recreation of the original show, I think the the same things would make it you know less palatable to the a younger audience. Okay, but I mean the the theme about adulation to me i think it fits perfectly in the world that we're in in which social media stars seem to turn up around every corner talent not required sure and and while uh young people might not pick that up if they're watching this at all in the first place i i think it was a perfect episode to call back with, with apollo and that character being so wrapped up in people you know, showing him adulation. So I, I think it was a perfect first episode to jump back into that universe. Sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, what about Kirk's decision to shoot really before he knows what's going on? I mean, is that Captain Kirk? Is that something we would see a captain do nowadays? Well, is, isn't that kind of like Kirk was always kind of a like Maverick and, you know, maybe what would was want to make quick decisions. I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, looking at it as a Star Trek fan, I would say, I don't know if I could label myself as such, but just as someone who, who knows of Star Trek, you know, they're, they're definitely trying to play up what this always, this kind of Maverick aspect of Captain Kirk. But looking at it just from a story standpoint, if I'd never seen Star Trek before, I would say, Here's a captain with a life and death situation. You know, he just makes, he has to make a decision in the moment. He doesn't have time to think it through. He, his, you know, the ship is, is about to, to, to lose all his power and, uh, they feel like they're under attack. And so he does what, you know, he has to do. Uh, maybe not the greatest decision, but, you know, it's the decision he has to make. He only has a couple seconds to make it. Right. And as you said, this is something that Kirk would do. And right away after firing the photon torpedo that that blasts that uh, doesn't blast it out of the sky, but it certainly blasts it enough to disable it and, and return power to the Enterprise. But they immediately find out that there were two life forms detected. And there's that momentary, ah, crap. Right. The other thing I find interesting and I think this occurred in the original series as well, that the medical officer is giving out tactical information. And I'm like, dude, go back to med bay. Right. (laughs) You know, but I understand that's not how Star Trek works. He's one of the senior officers and whether or not Kirk ever actually pays attention, I guess is kind of debatable as well. But, uh, you know, we find out that two years prior, a much younger Apollo had tried to enslave the enterprise. So, so coming on the heels of that incident, the crew is naturally wary of the older man, or at least the, the senior crew. I, it doesn't appear as if any of the uh, actual crew men and women right, have a, right. a clue. So right, right. Well, and I like how, you know, that's what I thought, especially Kirk and Scotty did a really great job because for us, it's been, you know, 50 years, Right. Exactly, yeah. But for the people in the show, it's been two years, right? Right. So while they are, 
you know, violently, not I shouldn't say violently, but very strongly um, averse to Apollo. Uh, for those of us who haven't seen this episode, maybe like me ever, or people who haven't seen it in decades, you're like, he's an old guy, cut him some slack, you know? But it's not like that for them, and they do a good job of playing that. Well, right, because they've seen so many things during the course of their travels that you would think, as you said, even the younger crew, you know, I don't, we don't know if they've ever been back to, you know, wherever their home base is to bring on new crew or not, or if everybody on the Enterprise has been on there the entire time, which is, I suspect, what the actual case is. But Apollo describes the realm, so he's kind of laying out there how it is he got to be on the control center of the enterprise along with his wife who who dies almost immediately. And he talks about the realm being this sort of safe haven, providing eternal life for him and his wife, but the other gods find out about it and they show up and then they all realize it's a, a trap, I guess, on the part of the realm And I like his line, what was meant to be our sanctuary became our prison. Mm -hmm. And that just really had that Star Trek feel to it, as did this whole story that that he's telling. Without a doubt. I mean, like, I mean, again, it it was so faithful, faithfully recreated, you know, like, and the script itself, you know, like, you're right. There's so many very like you know star trek type lines and you know again that that was one of them and um you know like star trek was that show that endeavored to you know really say more than was than just produce a story right they like you know the episodes for the most part made social commentary um and things like that yeah, absolutely. And of course, we were in the midst of the Vietnam War at that time. So there were certainly a lot of episodes that Herbert, up those Herbert, sorts Herbert, of- Herbert, 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 yeah. Herbert. Remember that I one? I don't know. What- no. Oh, it was like the one that's this dude, like this had this hippie cult and they're they're on the, the Enterprise. And every time like Kirk tries to talk, like they, they use the name Herbert as, I think that was it, as- for, for anyone in authority. And so even though these people are about Kirk's age, they see Kirk as like the man and the establishment. So he tries to talk to him and all these kids, like, cause they all have like, you know, mop tops and long hair. And they just start going, Herbert, 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 as he tries to talk and he gets all pissed and he walks away and everything. So oh, I like it. Yeah. All right. Well, Apollo asks Kirk to take him to a world inhabited by humans so that, presumably he can get adulation again but kirk doesn't trust him and we certainly understand why even though apollo says no no i'm past my worship phase i i just i just like being around humans yeah yeah okay Uh and then of course apollo goes to dr mckenna the redhead and talks about the heartbreak from being rejected by humanity led the gods to not put themselves out there again and for those of us that are older, that have seen the series, we just, you know, it's it's almost like, is he another con? Right. K, K-H-A-N right. and C-O-N. Right. But uh, 
you know, we just don't believe him. And because of his advanced age, we want to believe him. As I said before, the pathos is there, but there's just something about it that just doesn't ring true. And and then, of course, the big surprise, he's found mesmerizing the crew with his stories, his song. He's got the power. When it comes down to it, he gets and i thought in terms of special effects this was pretty good when when he's using his power to hold kirk against the wall and then they've got him he's got him elevated a little bit Uh, i i I thought that was done pretty well yeah yeah, and then mckenna is the one that brings out the phaser and or whatever weapon it was and knocks him down right Apparently, you can't teach an old god new tricks. No, you can't. Well, that was just kind of like weird, you know. But I guess, like, you know, it's in there to show, not to show that he hasn't changed, but uh, I guess that he he still hasn't had the the metamorphosis that he finally goes through at the end of this, right? Like, midway through, he's still kind of like the same old guy, uh, except like literally older. He hasn't learned self-sacrifice. He hasn't learned how to, you know, like to care for others rather than himself. Well, and I guess the question will be whether or not that really takes hold because, you know, we find out about this organ that he has that apparently converts human worship into energy. So he suggests that, you know, remove it. Then you'll know I'm being sincere. Scotty is the voice of the audience because he still has doubts, even though it's been removed. Of course, you know, you mentioned Uhura being, well, she was killed and he brings her back to life. But, you know, before that, the the one thing that did strike me as a bit odd, that Kirk stops Bones from pursuing extraordinary means to bring Uhura back. And I'm thinking, well, why not get let him do what's the harm no stop she's dead right she's been dead for like 30 seconds uh he's a doctor he's the one who wants to try so kirk why don't you why don't you let the medical guy give it a go huh right but you know apollo lays on hands brings her back and then he apparently is more powerful than before and as you said it's uh learning that self-sacrifice creates power and hair and and hair and it takes us to that final scene the epilogue one year later that apollo looks to be a little bit younger would you agree or is it just the hood no no it's definitely supposed i mean that's why the whole build-up we don't see his face till he turns around and then he's you know looking younger again is yeah i don't know how they did that whether they just kind of took the actor and did the Michael Douglas thing on him and everything, or or if they kind of photoshopped in like his face from when he was originally on the show, because it doesn't look like a hundred percent natural. Um, and it's, like I said, again, I don't think it's really meant to, right? It's it's meant to really evoke the the uh, not not repeat, but evoke the um, techniques used back in the sixties. But yeah, he's definitely younger. You're supposed to show us that by being altruistic, he is regenerating, I guess. Right. And we assume accruing power. So my takeaway is that, great, he's helping people, 
But by helping them, he's becoming more powerful. Is Apollo going to get to the point one day where he's powerful enough that he says, screw this altruism. I want adulation again. Yeah. Well, I, I think ultimately, I guess it was the, you know, the energy that he got that he thought he was getting from adulation. So if he gets that same kick from, you know, altruism, then then he, he's going to keep rolling that with that, I would think. Yeah, I, I would think so too. Um, so anything else you want to bring up before we listen to Fred's feedback? Well, just uh, one thing is that we you know we talked about like uh, the attention to detail. I think they even had vintage era bras in this show as well. It seemed so. I like again attention to detail. Fantastic. Okay, I, I wasn't noticing that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, why don't we take a listen to what Fred had to say about uh, this series that he brought to our attention? So let's hear it, Fred. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Star Trek Continues Season 1, Episode 1, Episode Pilgrim of Eternity. First off, it's so nice that the both of you acted on my suggestion for doing a podcast about the pilot of this series. Especially because it's not a regular series, but a fun run remake of Star Trek's original series. Or actually... As the name says, a continuation of that. On IMDb, this pilot episode gets a straight 8.0. Not bad for a fan-made product. And if you take into consideration that the Trekkie community is quite critical, especially about its holy grail of the original series, with icons as uh, Kirk, Spock, Scotty and McCoy. According to Wikipedia, the series is very positively received and uh, by critics who praised the quality of the production and stated that the show set a new standard for Star Trek fan films. I fully agree with that. So far I watched this series up to episode 3 but paused then uh, because uh, I had to watch all kinds of other series in order to give feedback for their podcasts in time and second point Sci-Fi TV Rewatch perhaps is going to cover the full 11 episodes of this series. Yesterday evening I started re-watching the pilot. Um, I slightly dozed off, not because it was not interesting, although they are quite good in catching the pace of the 60s series, but because I was really, really tired. What I noticed that when my eyes closed... It was even more the original series than when uh, I also looked at the screen. To me this means that also the sound effects are done quite well. Okay, about the episode. It's actually a kind of follow-up on the 1967 Star Trek TOS Season 2 episode Who Mourns for Adonis? Uh, an episode I rewatched in order to get the full impact of this Star Trek Continuous episode, as well as getting back into the atmosphere of the original series again. Apollo is played in the, uh, the original series episode by the in 1929 born Michael Forrest. But not only in that TOS episode, but also in this follow-up story. 
The air date of the episode was in 2013, so he must have been around 82 or so when this episode was filmed. According to Wikipedia, he's still alive and possibly even active. I think the actor is in a quite good shape and uh, I thought uh, it was quite brave for an 82 years old actor to play with a half-naked upper body. At the end of the episode, on uh, the so-called second planet of the Basilian uh, Epsilon system, the makeup artist did a very nice job to giving and give him even a younger facial appearance. It is a nice reference, although I'm not sure it's meant as a reference, when Athena dies in the beginning of the episode. She says to Apollo, You continue. Athena is played by Diana Hale, also born in 1929, and in real life the wife of Michael Forrest. I think the actor who plays Kirk, Vic uh, McNogna, uh, does a marvelous job in portraying actually William Shatner. All his moves, the way he looks, the way he sits on the captain's chair, etc. are are so well uh, actually choreographed. One example is that uh, also the way he walks around uh, with his fists closed. That's actually what Kirk always did as well. Of course, Chris Doohan, the son of James Doohan, has the genetic advantage to play the role of his in 2005 deceased father as the engineer Montgomery Scott. Nevertheless, um, it's sometimes a bit overacted. Uh, for instance, when he gets angry at the board meeting halfway the episode. Sulu, played by Grant Imahara, has a, a similar deep, rich voice as George Takai does. I think Grant's acting performance uh, is the weakest of the seven main characters. Being Kirk, Spock, Bones, Scotty, Uhura, Sulu and Chekhov. Although I have to admit from external appearances I had to get used to the to Bones. Um, and I had to get used to him the most of all of them. Furthermore, I think the art department did a marvelous job in recreating a 1960s atmosphere. From the bridge, the captain's chair, the med bay, to the recreation room with its 3D chess game. In that recreation room, Michael Force also showed that he still could sing aged 82. Also, Kirk's private quarters are nicely recreated. And of course, we get our obligatory Kirk shirtless scene in there. If we think about the fact that this is a fan-based produced series, in my opinion the look and feel is the best I ever encountered in a 60s recreated series. I really think they succeeded in their task recreating and continuing our holy Star Trek The Original Series. Uh, I'm very curious and looking forward what you think about this. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. All right. Well, you know, he brings up some of the things we've talked about already. Uh, I too, and I, I know you felt the same way about bonding with the actor that's playing Bones and 
you know, for me, as I said, even by the end of the rewatch, I was a little bit more accepting of his performance. But again, we understand they weren't, you know, going to a casting director and, you know, bringing in you know, all these people. He, now, Fred said he wasn't a fan of Sulu. I, I think we both liked him a little better than Fred did. I, I thought he did a pretty decent job. And, um, I, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm going to keep going and watch more episodes. I'll probably take a look at the next one just, you know, when I have a chance one day. But uh, yeah, I might. He brings up he brings up the shirtless Kirk. And I'm thinking like, well, come on, dude, we had to have it, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And McKenna had to be the one that entered his quarters. And, and if you watch her eyes, she's you know, doing what most guys would do if, well, of right. course, if the situation was reversed, right. uh, yeah, it'd be on Showtime. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so you know, a lot of good stuff, Fred, Fred, you know, posted some pictures in his feedback, so yeah, he'll probably post them on the Facebook group as well. But, you know, I, I, it was enjoyable for me. And, I, and as I said at the, at the beginning, I, I really feel like it is part of the Star Trek canon. And, and I mean, that's obviously my choice. Uh, Gene Roddenberry's son feels like it is. And again, I mean, it is what the creator says it is. I mean, if uh, Ronald D. Moore says something is canon, if he says Caprica is canon, then it is. Yeah. So. You know, yeah, I, you know, I, I guess it's, it, you know, it, it's up to the. Well, I mean, again, like Trekkies need something to argue about, right? Like, yes, they do. Uh, so, and this is you know great fodder for them, um, but to to me, this is a project that these people took on, um, knowing they aren't going to make any money out of it, knowing it's not going to bring them fame and fortune. Um, you know, they did this because they are huge fans of the original show. And, they, you know, like I said, I call it before a labor of love. And that's what I see it as. So uh, to me, I can forgive a lot of like the, the, the things here and there. Like maybe the acting isn't the best and things like that. But, you know, I, I can't remember the exact words that Theseus says in A Midsummer Night's Dream, but it kind of boils down to, you know, if something's done with pure heart and intention, then then nothing can be wrong about it. And I think this show's got uh, extremely pure heart and pure att- intentions for there. Well, why don't we leave it there? That's a a beautiful thought. Oh, thank you. So, all right, all right. Well, uh, let's leave it there, and and that's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about star trek continues dark travelers which is out on the horizon and hopefully in the next few weeks uh primeval but as always we'd encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community uh, if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe which you can get on the website We'll be back next week to take a look at episodes one and two of the BBC series Primeval. But until then. You know, like before every podcast, before we hit record, I just kind of repeat to myself, it's like a mantra. If only I could open up my heart and show him, show all of you. <laughs> <laughs>